Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm your lion-loving snake host, Katie. And I'm the cat-loving lion host, Ellen. No, you're supposed to say that you're the snake-loving lion host. But I don't like snakes. They're scary. Unless they're behind thick-ass glass and can't get at me. Well, I don't like lions. I'm allergic to them. But I love you. Oh, you're the snake. Uh-huh. In that case, I'm the snake-loving lion host, Ellen. Thank you. And this is The Rolling Rehash. Last week, we discussed Chapter 7, The Boggart in the Wardrobe, and its corresponding film scenes. Draco siphoned Slytherin sympathy while Snape attempted amphibian assassination. The headless hunters hunted headlessly for heads. Lupin's first lesson left laughter lingering, but Harry was denied displaying demi-dementor defense. And Neville went from bumbling buffoon to Boggart-beating badass. During episode 46, Bare Hands or Bare Hands, our Potter pondering was, what would your Boggart be, and how would you make it ridiculous? We got some really great responses on these. Max said he's not sure how it would manifest, but something to do with falling. Then the ridiculous would be a trampoline, which I really like that. Mm-hmm. Diana said a ginormous centipede. And they have a cute puppy toy at work that looks like a multicolored caterpillar, and it squeaks and crinkles, and she'd ridiculous it into that. <laughs> Quincy said that one of his biggest fears is dying alone, and he has no idea how he would make that ridiculous, so he would probably just turn it into Tina Belcher twerking. <laughs> he shared a gif. <laughs> Juliana says hers would be the same as Mrs. Weasley, her family dead. She suggests that maybe ridiculous would make them all get up and do the thriller dance, which I love since this would be my boggart as well. Carly says that she has thought about this a lot. She thinks that it would be interesting to see for real what it would turn into because she's thinking some form of death. She said Ridiculous would probably make it explode into multicolor confetti. Tabitha says that her boggart would be her own unhappiness, but she would really need to think about how to make that ridiculous. Nicole says it would be a wasp or hornet. She hates them. And she thinks getting its stinger stuck in a big marshmallow would do it. I like that. That's pretty funny. I know, right? <laughs> she also hypothetically wonders if you have a fear of public speaking, would ridiculous make the whole class naked? I like that. That That's... seems pretty legit to me. Right? That's fucking genius. <laughs> Alice says hers would definitely become a spider. She'd probably ridiculous it by taking off its legs and turning it into a dodgeball. <laughs> I would not want to be hit with that dodgeball. I am with Alice. Either a spider or a nope rope or that fucking creepy ass clown of Pravati's. Oh yeah, not amusing at all. Honestly, I don't even know how to make that ridiculous. I want a bonus Potter pondering to be suggestions. Tell me guys, how can I make that ridiculous? The scary-ass clown jack-in-the-box. We can also get suggestions for Jackson, because he said his boggart would be a scorpion, and he has no idea how to make that ridiculous. Kenneth says his would be a microphone on a stand that would turn into a balloon animal. I like that. Mm -hmm. Emma says moths seriously give her the heebie-jeebies. 
she'd ridiculous it into an origami crane instead, which I love because I know how to make those and I have a video up on my teacher YouTube account demonstrating it. <laughs> Fun! That's awesome. And like I said, these were some really great responses. I love that not only can we all vocalize what our biggest fears are, but we can figure out ways to make them funny for the most part. Except for me, because I just don't mess with nope ropes. Let us know in this week's Potter Pondering if you have any suggestions for some of our Keeper's Boggarts. Definitely. Our trivia question last week was, what was the name of Lavender's rabbit that was killed by a fox? On October 16th, the day Professor Trelawney told her that the thing she was dreading would happen, Lavender learned that her baby bunny Binky was killed by a fox. As Hermione pointed out, it came as a shock to her, so she couldn't have really been dreading it. Trelawney probably just got lucky with her prediction. Unless what Lavender was actually dreading was getting bad news about her bunny, not specifically at dying, because that loophole would make it completely accurate. Yeah, I mean, I don't have pets, but I imagine if I had one, I would be constantly worried about getting bad news. Like, that would always be something I'd, I'd dread that about, like, my family. It's totally a thing. But anyways... Congratulations again goes to Max Nash. He's on a three-week streak now. Dave responded to his answer saying, Merlin's beard, you're fast. Well done, you. It must be all those liquidated work meetings. Which is hilarious since he's referring to the fact that Max had a work function that really just ended up meeting drinks and he didn't get home until 3 a.m. Which does set him up nicely to stay awake for answering the trivia questions, since the episodes post at 4 a.m. his time. Yep. Dave had answered two, obviously after Max, and Quincy asked him if he was even trying. <laughs> Dave told him he was trying 25 minutes harder than him, and Quincy said he was retired. This rivalry is bleeding into our patron-only chat group. It's so much fun. Mm -hmm. If you're a patron at the Order of Merlin 4th class, which is $10 a month or higher... In addition to other perks, you get invited to a monthly virtual video hangout with yours truly and Katie. Yours truly's, I suppose <laughs> you could say. <laughs> but this has basically turned into a daily group chat that has been so much fun. Oh my god, we have the best conversations. I've had the most random things too, it's so funny. But it does sometimes include some shit talking between Dave and Quincy. Which is hilarious and all in good fun. Mm -hmm. For sure, one of my favorite things about this podcast is the people it's put us in touch with. And not just our patrons. Every one of our keepers who interact with us through Facebook and Instagram and Twitter have been awesome. Yes. Please keep interacting with us on social media. We love it. Honestly. Mm -hmm. I'm terrible at keeping up with things, but I do read everything. I try to. I try to read everything, and Ellen is usually always there with a response, so there you go. I don't have a toddler. Yeah. It's kind of nice having one, though. I get to blame her for, like, everything I don't do. Oh, I know that <laughs> half of what she blames on her is just an excuse, but I love her, so I let her have it. She's never let me down. A little bit. That being said, let's just keep rolling into Chapter 8, The Flight of the Fat Lady, and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 8, Flight of the Fat Lady Defense Against the Dark Arts quickly becomes everyone's favorite class. Only Draco Malfoy and his gang have anything bad to say about Professor Lupin. They criticize his shabby robes, but no one else cares because his lessons are so interesting. 
After the Bogarts, they learn about redcaps and kappas. Harry wishes that he was as happy with his other classes, and potions is the worst of all. The story of the Bogart Snape has spread, and the real Snape is being more vindictive than ever. Harry is also growing to dread divination, because Professor Trelawney's eyes fill with tears every time she looks at him, and Lavender Brown and Parvati Patil start using hushed voices around him, like he's on his deathbed. Care of Magical Creatures has become very boring after the first action-packed class. They just spend class after class looking after flobberworms, which makes Ron wonder why anyone would even bother. But the Quidditch season starts up in October, which gives Harry something else to look forward to, when Oliver Wood, now in his seventh year, calls for their first team meeting. He gives one of his speeches about how they have the best team but the worst luck. He's very dejected when he points out that it's his last year to win the Quidditch Cup, and the rest of the team insist that they will win it this year. They start training three evenings a week, and though the weather is getting colder and wetter, it can't dampen Harry's vision of finally winning the Quidditch Cup. One evening after Quidditch, Harry returns to the Gryffindor common room to find everyone buzzing excitedly. Ron tells him that it's the first Hogsmeade weekend at the end of October, and his high spirits begin to ebb away. Hermione tries to cheer him up by saying that they will probably catch Black soon, and he will likely be able to go the next time. Ron doesn't think Black will try anything in Hogsmeade and tells Harry he should ask McGonagall if he can go this time. Hermione doesn't think he should, but Harry decides that he will. Before Hermione can argue with him, she's distracted by Crookshanks, who jumps up in her lap and eats a spider he caught. Hermione is impressed, but it upsets Ron and he tells her to keep him away since he has scabbers in his bag. Harry wants to go to bed but needs to get his star chart completed, and Ron offers to let him copy his. Then, without warning, Crookshanks pounces on Ron's bag and begins to tear at it. Ron is yelling at Crookshanks, Hermione is yelling at Ron, and Scabbers comes flying out of the bag and runs away. Ron yells for someone to catch that cat, and George lunges for him but misses. Scabbers hides beneath a chest of drawers, and Hermione manages to catch Crookshanks. Ron and Hermione start arguing about Crookshanks going after Scabbers. Ron is furious, and Hermione keeps trying to defend her cat, which just upsets Ron more. He heads up to the dorms and stays in a bad mood all the next day. They have Herbology and then Transfiguration. Mm. Harry plans on asking McGonagall about going to Hogsmeade after class. And while they are lined up outside the classroom, he's trying to decide how to argue his case when he is distracted by a disturbance near the front of the line. Lavender is crying and Parvati has her arm around her as she explains something to Dean and Seamus. Hermione asks Lavender what is wrong and Parvati explains that her rabbit, Binky, has been killed by a fox. Lavender bursts out that she should have known because it was October 16th, and Professor Trelawney was right about the thing she was dreading happening on the 16th of October. Hermione tries to point out that Binky didn't even actually die that day, Lavender just got the news, and that she can't have been dreading it because it's come as a shock. Ron interrupts to tell Lavender not to mind Hermione, she just doesn't think very much of other people's pets. At this point, McGonagall opens the classroom and cuts off the brewing argument between Ron and Hermione. At the end of class, Professor McGonagall reminds them all to give her their permission slips for Hogsmeade, saying no form, no visiting the village, and Harry takes this opportunity to ask if he would still be able to go. McGonagall repeats the no form, no visiting rule. Harry tries to persuade her, but she apologizes and tells him that it's her final word, and that he better head to his next lesson. Harry has no choice but to endure everyone's excitement about their visit. 
Ron tries to cheer Harry up by reminding him about the Halloween feast, but Harry feels that the feast would be better after a day in Hogsmeade. Percy gives him the worst pep talk, listing off all the things about Hogsmeade that are great, but saying, aside from that, he's not missing anything. On Halloween morning, Harry heads to breakfast with everyone else and tries to act normal. Ron and Hermione have set their differences aside in the face of Harry's disappointment, and promise to bring him back loads of sweets from Honeydukes. He walks them to the entrance hall to see them off and tells them to have a good time. He then heads back to Gryffindor Tower and is greeted by Colin Creevy, who invites him to join his group. Harry doesn't feel like having his scar stared at, so he pretends he has to go to the library and leaves again. Wandering around the corridor, he's confronted by Filch and told to go back to his common room. Instead, Harry climbs the staircase and is walking along a corridor when he hears a voice call his name. He doubles back and finds Professor Lupin, who invites him in and offers him tea. He mentions that he only has tea bags, but that he figures he's had enough of tea leaves. Professor McGonagall had told Lupin all about it, and he wonders if Harry is worried. Harry decides against mentioning the dog he saw in Magnolia Crescent, since Lupin already seems to think that Harry can't handle a boggart. Lupin asks Harry if something is worrying him, and Harry at first says no, but then asks why he wouldn't let him fight the boggart. Instead of denying it, Lupin surprises Harry by telling him that he would have thought it was obvious. He had assumed the Bogart would take the form of Lord Voldemort, and explains that he didn't think it would be a good idea for Voldemort to appear in the staff room. Harry explains that he initially thought of Voldemort, but then remembered the Dementors. Lupin tells him that suggests that what he fears most of all is fear, and says that's very wise. Harry is feeling a lot better when there's a knock at the door. Snape comes in carrying a smoking goblet and tells Lupin he should drink it directly, and that he made an entire cauldron full should he need more. Lupin says he should probably take some the next day, too, and thanks him. Snape backs out of the room, and Harry looks very curiously at the goblet. Lupin explains that he's been feeling under the weather, and Snape kindly concocted a potion for him. As he sips the potion, Harry has to resist the urge to knock it out of his hands. Instead, he tells Lupin that Professor Snape is very interested in the dark arts, and some reckon he'd do anything to get the Defense Against the Dark Arts job. Lupin is only mildly interested and drains the entire goblet. He tells Harry he better get back to work, and Harry puts down the teacup to head out. The goblet is still smoking. Ron and Hermione turn up in the common room and dump a shower of sweets into Harry's lap and tell him all about Hogsmeade. Harry tells them about his conversation with Lupin and the smoking goblet Snape brought him. Ron thinks that Lupin is mad for drinking it, and Hermione doesn't think he would have tried to poison him in front of Harry. They head into the Great Hall for the feast and have a great time eating delicious food, watching the ghosts do formation gliding, as well as nearly headless Nick's reenactment of his own botched beheading. After the feast, the Gryffindors all head back to their tower, but the corridor is jammed with students. Percy pushes through, declaring himself head boy, and then calls for someone to get Professor Dumbledore. Quick. Jenny asks what's going on, and Dumbledore arrives. As the Gryffindors squeeze together to let him through, they see that the fat lady's portrait has been viciously slashed. Professor Dumbledore says that they need to find her, and Peeves says that they'll be lucky, because she's ashamed and doesn't want to be seen. He says that she's a mess and has been crying something dreadful, and unconvincingly adds on, poor thing. Dumbledore asked Peeves if she said who it was who did it, and Peeves said, oh yes, Professor Head, he got very angry when she wouldn't let him in, you see. Nasty temper he's got, that serious black. The movie scene opens up with a shot of a giant pendulum. Three girls run by it and through the corridor to the courtyard. 
They join the rest of the kids waiting to go to Hogsmeade as Professor McGonagall gives some last-minute instructions, explaining that visiting the village is a privilege and poor behavior will revoke that privilege. Filch is collecting permission slips and Harry runs up to McGonagall to ask if he can still go, but before he can say anything at all, she just tells him that if he doesn't have a signed form, he can't go. That's the rule. Filch calls for those with signed permission slips to follow him and tells the rest to stay put. As Professor McGonagall starts to walk away, Harry hurries after her and gets in front of her again. He asks her if she will sign it, and she says that she can't, only a parent or guardian can, and since she is neither, it would be inappropriate. She starts to walk away again, but turns back to tell him that she is sorry, but it's her final word. Hermione and Ron are standing in the background, looking sad that Harry can't go, and he tells them to just forget about it. He'll see them later. He turns away from them and walks back toward the giant pendulum as Hermione and Ron turn the other way and hurry to catch up with the group leaving for Hogsmeade. Hermione gives Harry one last wave and he stops to watch them walk away. The camera cuts to behind Harry and drifts up and away, giving another shot of the pendulum. As the pendulum swings into the shot, Harry's voice says, Professor, can I ask you something? And the scene cuts to a view of the covered bridge in front of the castle. Professor Lupin's voice responds, saying, You want to know why I stopped you facing that boggart, yes? The camera floats in towards two figures walking on the bridge as he continues, saying that he would have thought it was obvious. He assumed it would take the shape of Lord Voldemort. Harry says that he did think of Voldemort at first. The camera cuts to Harry and Professor Lupin standing on the bridge, leaning against the railing, and Harry continues to say that then he remembered that night on the train and the Dementor. This impresses Lupin, who says it suggests that what he fears most is fear itself, and says that's very wise. Harry tells him that before he fainted, he heard a woman screaming, and Lupin explains that Dementors force them to relive their very worst memories. Harry confesses that he thinks it was his mother from the night she was murdered. Lupin looks a little troubled by this, and tells Harry that the very first time he saw him, he recognized him immediately, not by his scar, but by his eyes because they are his mother, Lily's eyes. He tells Harry that he knew his mother and turns away, walking to the other side of the bridge. He looks out over the mountains as he says that she was there for him at a time when no one else was. He describes her as having been singularly gifted and uncommonly kind, having a way of seeing beauty in others, especially those who could not see it in themselves. He goes on to describe Harry's father, saying he had a certain talent for trouble, which gets a little smile from Harry. Lupin turns back towards him and says that rumor has it, he passed that talent on to you. He stands next to Harry again, saying, You're more like them than you know, Harry. In time, you'll come to see just how much. The camera cuts back out to the whole view of the bridge before cutting inside the castle to the students on the moving staircases. The camera cranes down past the staircases as Ron's voice talks about Honeyduke's sweet shop, Zonko's joke shop, and the Shrieking Shack which they didn't get to go to. The camera pushes and tilts in on the third-year students walking up the stairs as Ron is asking Harry if he heard about it. Harry cuts him off to say it's the most haunted building in Britain. Yeah, I know. And they all stop, looking off-screen at something. Harry asks what's going on, and Ron says that Neville probably forgot the password. Neville is standing right behind Ron and says, Hey! Ron acknowledges that Neville is there, and the camera cuts to behind them, showing a group of Gryffindors stuck outside the portrait of the fat lady. Percy comes down the stairs to the left of the portrait, saying, Excuse me, I'm head boy. He tells everyone to get back. 
No one is to enter the dormitory until it has been searched. Harry, Ron, and Hermione look confused until Ginny pushes through the crowd and tells them that the fat lady is gone. The crowd parts, revealing that her portrait has been slashed. The camera pans across the paintings on the wall, and Professor Dumbledore and Filch come quickly up the stairs. As Dumbledore inspects the portrait, Filch looks around at all the other paintings. Dumbledore tells Filch to round up the ghosts to search all the other paintings for the fat lady, but Filch tells him that there's no need and points her out. Everyone rushes up the stairs, ignoring Percy's instructions to slow down and declarations of being head boy. They all stop in front of another painting, leaving room for Dumbledore and Filch in front of it. Dumbledore asks, Dear lady, who did this to you? And the camera shows a painting where the fat lady is hiding behind a hippo. She peeks up over it and says, Eyes like the devil he's got, and a soul as dark as his name. She says it was Sirius Black and shrieks, ducking back behind the hippo. The differences between these two sections are probably among some of the biggest differences that we've seen so far. Mm -hmm. There's just so much omitted and some details changed that definitely go beyond minor changes. It does still manage to keep the essence of the main plot together, but yeah, I think this does have more actual changes than we've really seen so far. Yeah. First of all, basically the first half of the chapter is not included in the movie scene, like, at all. Mm -hmm. The book starts out with a slight summary of how things have been going at Hogwarts, and we learned that everyone loves Defense Against the Dark Arts. Well, yeah. Except for Nazi Von Douchebag II, who literally makes fun of Lupin's shabby robes. It's a slightly better insult than, this class is ridiculous, but also just really shitty. My Lupin doesn't deserve that. He really doesn't. Mm, poor little Wolfie. We also learned that word of the Bogart Snape got back to the real Snape, and he is pissed. It serves him fucking right, because he tried to poison Neville's toad, for fuck's sake. Yeah, but this just made him be an even bigger dick to Neville. And I just wish Neville could treat Snape like the Bogart. Like, the next time Snape bullies him, he could just be like, Dude, I saw you in my grandma's dress. You look good. <laughs> I mean, Neville would never, but it would be really satisfying. Right? Harry is also starting to dread divination, since Trelawney treats him like he's going to keel over at any moment. And even Lavender and Parvati speak to him in hushed tones like he's actually on his deathbed. That would have been fun to see. Like, we barely got to see anything involving Lavender or Parvati. And I will always take more Emma Thompson as Trelawney. For sure. But then we find out that poor Professor Hagrid's class has gotten very boring. And this is why I think he just lost confidence, because the hippogriffs were a really great lesson until Malfoy fucked it up. Mm -hmm. And now he's just making them spend class after class looking after flobberworms. There's no chance of anyone getting hurt, but no chance of them learning anything either. I mean, the previous Care of Magical Creatures teacher retired to spend time with his remaining limbs. I feel like an occasional student maiming is probably expected. I doubt they advertise that, but yeah. <laughs> Harry does get a bit of a pick-me-up in the form of the Quidditch season starting. We get a great, dejected, fanatical Olive Herwood speech when he talks about how great their team is. And how unlucky. <laughs> and he's just so sad when he says that, as a seventh year, it's his last chance to win the Quidditch Cup, that even Fred and George are sympathetic. What really pisses me off about this part is that there's no way they could include it in the movie, because they completely cut Oliver Wood out of this film. 
Sons of bitches. Like, of all the things, this one is damn near unforgivable. My brain completely superimposed him into it because it refused to believe he wasn't there. Yeah. Well, they barely did anything with Quidditch the whole film, so he really wasn't needed. All of her wood is always needed. Always. Facts. But in the book, they start practicing Quidditch three times a week, and this cheers Harry up quite a bit, until he returns to the common room after practice one night to find out about the first Hogsmeade visit. Which is getting us close to where the movie starts up. You would think that, but no. Because the book also has another scene with Hermione's cat Crookshanks going after Scabbers. Yeah, we don't see that in the movie. We had that scene earlier in The Leaky Cauldron, and it definitely gets alluded to later, but the movie does not build up the tension between cat and rat near as much as the book does. They really don't, which is kind of a shame because this chase scene in particular not only creates a little foreshadowing, it also instills the idea that there's something abnormal going on with the way Crookshanks is targeting Scabbers. And kind of just with Crookshanks to begin with. Especially since he jumps up on Hermione's lap and eats a spider while just staring Ron down. <laughs> it's almost like he knew how Ron felt about spiders and was deliberately trying to distract him to make it easier to get at Scabbers. Mm -hmm. Then Ron tells Hermione to keep him over there and away from him since Scabbers was in his bag. And without warning, Crookshanks attacks the bag. It's like he heard Ron say he was in there and understood. Well, Hermione tries to push that aside and say that he's a cat and could smell him. But I don't buy that one bit. That's where Hermione's logical brain gets in her own way. And because she grew up as a muggle and has only been in the wizarding world for a few years, I think she's still kind of battling that muggle instinct that tries to logically explain away magic, even though she knows it exists. There's a lot of times that she still isn't willing to accept something larger than what she understands is happening. Well, think about all the times that she, like, corrects Harry. Skipping ahead in Order of the Phoenix, when he sees the Thestrals and he asks what those are, and Hermione just goes, nothing's pulling the carriages, Harry. They're pulling themselves, just like always. Right. It's like, you're right, because that's so much more normal right. of a situation. Yeah. But I feel like that's her going off her own experiences and not taking into consideration that she is in a magical world where there are other things that could be possible. Right. I honestly think that's why she wasn't truly a Ravenclaw. Mm-hmm. Because I think for as smart as she is, she's very close-minded. Yeah, I can see that. The book itself also included a really subtle setup to something being abnormal about Scabbers as well. We didn't really talk about that before, but to learn he'd been with the Weasley family for 12 years and most common rats don't live for more than three years or so definitely sets up something odd going on with this particular rat. Yeah, the way the movie did this part of the story, it didn't get that same kind of a setup. Not at all. Mm -mm. Which, those little details aren't really necessary to the larger plot, but they are still so fun to pick up on. I know they can't put everything into the movies, but some things are definitely missed more than others. <coughs> Peeves. <coughs> Funny you should <coughs> mention that, <laughs> because we will get there. For now, Ron and Hermione have ended up in yet another argument that lasts into the next day during classes. Hermione makes an effort to ask after Scabbers during Herbology, but it just makes Ron more angry. After that, they have Transfiguration, and Harry is planning on asking McGonagall about Hogsmeade after class. Which is where the movie scene basically finally comes in. Not quite. What? Because while they're all lined up waiting for Transfiguration class to start, 
There's a commotion at the front of the line, and the trio find a crying Lavender being comforted by Parvati, who's explaining something to Dean and Seamus. Hermione asks what's wrong, and Parvati tells them that Lavender's bunny, Binky, was killed by a fox. Which was our trivia question. Yay! Yep. Then, when Lavender tries to say that she should have known, because it was the 16th of October, and that's the date Professor Trelawney told her the thing that she was dreading would happen. Do you think Trelawney even remembers she said that to Lavender? I feel like she makes so many idle predictions that she ultimately has no idea what she said or when. You're probably right, though I think if Lavender were to ask her for more information, she would gladly put on a show. Oh, for sure. But Hermione again tries to apply her logic to the situation, saying that Binky didn't even actually die that day. Lavender just got the news and that she can't have been dreading it because it's come as a shock. Ron gets a good dig in on Hermione, telling Lavender not to mind her. She doesn't think very much of other people's pets. But then McGonagall opens up the classroom and the tension is somewhat diffused. They sit on opposite sides of Harry for class and refuse to speak to each other. At the end of class, McGonagall mentions the Hogsmeade permissions forms, and Harry takes this opportunity to approach her. Oh, oh, it's my turn? It is indeed. Yeah, finally! Ha <laughs> ha! My turn, bitches! So, this is where the movie scene starts up. Except for the fact that it isn't at the end of Transfiguration class. The movie streamlines it to the actual day that they are going to Hogsmeade. It opens on a shot of a giant pendulum that three girls that we can assume are Lavender, Pravati, and Padma run by through the corridor and out into the courtyard. And I gotta wonder, do you think Hagrid ever gets knocked out by that giant-ass pendulum? After he's been drinking? For sure. I'm just saying. That or he just tries to catch it and go for a ride. Oh my god, I would so watch that. Same. <laughs> but anyway... McGonagall is in the courtyard, giving a speech about Hogsmeade being a privilege that can be revoked. Harry approaches her to ask, and before he can even say anything, she basically tells him, No form, no Hogsmeade, bitch. She starts to walk away, but he hurries after her and steps back in front of her. This time he does ask if she will sign it for him, and she says that it can only be signed by a parent or guardian. As she is neither, that would be inappropriate. This happens a little differently in the book aside from the fact that it takes place in the Transfiguration classroom and not the courtyard. It's also days before the trip, not the day of. And Harry explains that his aunt and uncle, er, forgot to sign his form and asks if he can go anyway. She says no, basically the same way in the movie, no form, no visiting the village. Harry tries to argue, saying that his muggle aunt and uncle don't really understand this stuff and was hoping that she would say he could go which is similar to the movie, and of course, she says no. Do you think the staff were secretly happy that Harry never got his form signed? Like, okay, so how are we going to keep Potter safe during a very loosely chaperoned field trip to a very public place? What's that? He didn't get his form signed. Oh, thank Merlin. I don't get paid nearly enough to babysit that moody little death magnet. <laughs> moody little death magnet. That's <laughs> what he is. What do you think this is, book five? <laughs> Oh, just wait. <laughs> As a teacher, and I'm sure our teacher keepers will agree, that's exactly how that conversation went down. Right? My sister was a teacher. I know. That's how the teachers <laughs> talk. <laughs> but in both, McGonagall says she's sorry, but it's her final word. In the movie, Ron and Hermione are standing in the background waiting and hoping, and Harry has to tell them to go on. 
He turns away from them and walks back toward the giant-ass pendulum as Hermione and Ron head to Hogsmeade. Hermione gives Harry one last wave as he stops to watch them walk away. The camera cuts to behind Harry and drifts up and away, giving another shot of the pendulum. This obviously happens differently in the book, but I do want to take a minute to comment on the cinematography of this scene and the film in general. Because at this point, the camera cuts to behind Harry and drifts up and away from him. Because he's standing in the mouth of the corridor leading to the courtyard, the walls prevent the shot from actually widening, and it basically just shrinks Harry, making him look as small as he probably feels during this scene. It really is a beautiful shot. It really says a whole lot visually about how Harry must have been feeling right then. And I love it. For everything they cut out, it's kind of nice when they throw those things in. Right. But in the book... They just have a few paragraphs where people are trying to cheer Harry up. Then it moves on to Halloween morning and he heads to breakfast with everyone else and just tries to pretend to be normal. When it's time for everyone with permission slips to leave, he walks Hermione and Ron to the entrance hall to say bye. Then he basically just wanders around aimlessly, avoiding Colin Creevy and Filch, before ultimately being noticed by Professor Lupin, who invites him into his office to have tea. This is also different in the movie. The scene just cuts to Harry and Professor Lupin walking along the covered bridge and talking, not having tea in Lupin's office. The conversation itself is pretty different, too. In the book, Lupin mentions that he only has tea bags and brings up Trelawney's reading of Harry's tea leaves, asking him if he's worried. Harry tells him no, but Lupin realizes that Harry is worried about something and asks. Harry initially says no again, but then asks why Lupin wouldn't let him fight the Boggart. The movie has Harry ask Professor Lupin if he can ask him something. Lupin already knows that he is wondering why he didn't let him face the Boggart, and he says that he would have thought it was obvious, because he figured it would have materialized into Voldemort. In the book, he does basically say the same thing, but it annoys me significantly less, because in the book, Lupin intercedes well before the Boggart can turn into anything in front of Harry. In the movie... It clearly became a Dementor before Lupin jumped in front of it. So I don't buy it in the slightest that movie Lupin still thought the Boggart was going to turn into Voldemort. Right? It's kind of like he goes, you want to know why I stopped you from facing that Boggart? And Harry's just going, except for the part where you kind of didn't. Like, right? Except for that whole thing. Because, yeah, I, I always thought that too. But also, Harry's technically only seen Voldemort that he remembers, like, once, and it was on the back of Quirrell's head. So, how would it have necessarily turned into Voldemort? It's a very good question. Would the Boggart have just turned into a backwards Quirrell? Wasn't Lupin's smartest of thoughts. Really wasn't. In the book, Harry is completely shocked by what Lupin says, not only because he expected that Lupin was going to deny he prevented him from facing the Boggart, but also because Lupin was the only person other than himself and Dumbledore that just casually dropped Voldy's name. Yeah, it probably brought Lupin up in Harry's estimation, too, because if he associates Dumbledore with saying Voldemort just freely, he's probably thinking the same thing about Lupin at that point. Yeah, probably. Harry says he did think of Voldemort at first, but then he saw Parvati's scary-ass clown. (laughs) That damn scary-ass clown. Definitely worse than Voldemort. Seriously. But actually, in both, he said that he initially thought of Voldemort, but then remembered the Dementors. 
And in both, Remus, FDR Lupin, tells Harry that suggests that what he fears most of all is fear itself. But from here, the movie decides to take a completely different direction than the book. Oh, completely. Because in the book, Snape comes to Lupin's office with a smoking goblet of some kind of potion for him to drink. He leaves, and Harry just looks at the goblet like there's no fucking way you should drink that, Professor. No fucking way would I drink something Snape gave me. Uh Uh-uh. But Lupin explains to Harry that he's been feeling under the weather and is lucky to work alongside Snape, who can brew this very complicated potion that is the only thing that helps him. Harry fights the urge to knock it out of his hands and instead lets him know that Snape is very into the dark arts and would do anything for the teaching position. Lupin doesn't really seem phased by this information and just drains the goblet. He then tells Harry he better get back to work and Harry heads out. Not only did this not happen in the movie, the rest of their conversation never happened anywhere in the book. Like, it's not something that was shared out of order. They completely made this part up. But Harry tells Lupin that before he passed out, he heard a woman screaming, and he thinks it was his mother. Lupin then tells Harry that the very first time he saw him, he recognized him. And Harry's face when Lupin says he recognized him immediately is just like, oh, fuck, here we go again with more scar talk. Lupin is good at picking up on that, too, because he immediately says, not by your scar, but by your eyes. That's because Lupin is sweet and insightful and gives you chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) But am I the only one who felt like Lupin had a thing for Lily when they first saw this scene? Like, there's something weird in the way he says, I knew her. Oh, yes, I knew her. Like, what the fuck do you mean, dude? Like, what, like the biblical sense you knew her? That's weird. You're not the only one. Because I kind of find this entire thing a bit strange. Mm -hmm. The movie really plays up this connection between Lupin and Lily and just completely glosses over the fact that James was one of his best friends. Right? It's weird. And Lupin goes on about how she was there for him at a time that no one else was, saying she was talented and uncommonly kind. Which I'm sure she was, but he says she could see the beauty in others even when they couldn't see it in themselves. Which, this is obviously an allusion to Lupin's furry little problem that we don't technically know about yet. Mm -hmm. Even though the movie showed us his bogart is a full fucking moon. Right. So it does kind of do the same thing that Snape bringing him the potion does in the book. Hmm. It sets up the fact that there's something wrong with him. Yeah. Also, I don't know if this was intentional, but I think it also kind of foreshadows the friendship that Lily had with Snape. Yeah, but they could have just done that with fucking Snape. Like I said, I don't think it was intentional. Yeah, true. But considering the whole comment that seeing beauty in others even when they couldn't see it himself, you know Snape didn't think very highly of himself. Well, yeah. That's exactly what I'm saying, though. Like, it just was weird coming from Lupin. Like, I get why it makes sense, but it was at the sweet, same time... But yeah, it was sweet, but... Weird. I feel it was more like Snape's lamenting inner monologue than it was something Lupin should have said. Yeah. But no mention about his friendship with James. Because why bring that up, you know? Yeah, that's not important to the story. Yeah, that's dumb. (laughs) Just that he appears to have passed his talent for trouble down to Harry. I do love the little smile that Harry gives when Lupin says this, though. Mm -hmm. Because it's a very knowing, like, yeah, I'm kind of a little shit (laughs) smile. And there's definitely a note of pride in there. Oh, definitely. Then Lupin tells Harry, you're more like them than you know. My heart just bursts. Like, aw. But... How does Harry not launch into a million annoying-ass questions about his parents at this point, though? 
right? I would totally bombard him. Honestly. But movie Harry rarely asks questions. The satchels of assholes beat that out of him. He even asks if he can ask a question before he asks a question. He really does. He even did that in this scene. Which then cuts to the moving staircases and Ron telling Harry all about Hogsmeade as the Gryffindor third years walk back to their common room. But there was a deleted scene of post-Hogsmeade in the Great Hall. And why was this cut? I love this scene. All the background magic going on is amazing. Plus, it was an interesting way for Harry to finally get the pocket sneakoscope. Yeah, they have Ron buy it for him at Dervish and Banji's because he figures it wouldn't hurt to have it around. Since Sirius Black is trying to kill him and all. Mm-hmm. I can kind of see why they didn't bother keeping this in, though, since the pocket sneakoscope literally didn't play any other role in the movie. Even though in the book it completely showed us that someone untrustworthy was in their train compartment. And the scene that was actually in it, with them on the stairs, Harry was holding it, too. So there was that. Mm -hmm. It was just random. But it still had so much awesomeness happening in the background, though. Neville is, like, pulling a giant maypole out of a small box. And there's, like, some of the girls are playing catch with something that's, like, flying the fuck around. Crab and Goyle had, like, some kind of, like, firecrackers or something that they're using to fuck with the kids around him. You know, because that's something Crab and Goyle would fucking do, because they're dicks, you know? But yeah, it's just all this random stuff is going on in the background, and you don't notice it until you're actually looking for it. Once you're looking for it, it's like, oh my god, that's so neat! But yeah, this scene really did have some neat things happening in it. It was sad that it didn't make it in the final cut. Like, I understand why they cut it. You know, time-wise, who knows? If they would have kept it in, maybe we would have been bitching about the scene not actually being in the book. and Who knows? But I still like it. <laughs> Also, they do take some of the audio from this scene where Ron was talking about Zonko's and the Shrieking Shack and put it into the actual movie scene where they're going up the moving staircase to the portrait hole. Yeah, it's definitely more streamlined this way. But had they left this scene in, it would have almost lined up with the book. It's still a little different because Ron and Hermione get back from Hogsmeade and find Harry in the common room and give him a bunch of sweets from Honeydukes and tell him all about their visit. Then Harry tells them about Snape, Lupin, and the Smoking Goblet, and then they all head down to the Great Hall for the Halloween feast. So really, the only way that it lines up is that they were in the Great Hall at some point after Hogsmeade, because the deleted scene did not show a Halloween feast at all. No, but I really wish that it had. Well, yeah. How cool would it have been to see the ghosts do formation gliding, and nearly headless Nick reenacting his botched beheading? Okay, yeah, that would have been fantastic to see. The movie could have done some fantastic slapstick with it, too. Oh, God. I just imagined John Cleese performing a botched beheading, and it's brilliant in my head. I would watch the shit out of that. Right? But then, after the feast, they're all heading back to their common rooms, and it finally starts to actually line up with the movie scene. Though still somewhat different. In both, there's a pretty major traffic jam outside the portrait hole. In the movie, Ron thinks Neville forgot the password again when Neville is actually standing right next to him like, What the hell? Fuck you too, bro. That does not happen in the book, but it is pretty funny. (laughs) Right? The way Ron says, Oh, you're there. (laughs) It just cracks me up. (laughs) In both, Percy pushes his way through, reminding everybody that he is head boy. In the book, he sharply calls for someone to go get Professor Dumbledore. 
In the movie, he says that no one is to enter the dormitory until it has been searched. Dumbledore just shows up on his own not too long after. In the book, Jenny shows up asking what's going on, and then Dumbledore comes sweeping in, soon followed by Professors McGonagall, Lupin, and Snape. The movie has Ginny present as well, except she actually pushes through the crowd and tells the trio that the fat lady is gone, so she already had the information. Sir Cadagan is running through the photos in the background, and it's still funny as shit. I wish he had actually been included as more than a background in a deleted scene. Me too. But then the crowd parts and we see the fat lady's empty and slashed painting. All of the commotion from the surrounding paintings is actually a really nice touch. It adds a lot of tension to the scene. It really does. This is when Dumbledore shows up, but he is with Filch, who immediately starts scanning all the other portraits. Dumbledore inspects the slashed painting and his nail beds look super blue. Like, did you notice that? They're blue, man. No wonder he sees socks in the mirror of Erised. That MFR has some serious circulation issues. I'm just saying. I literally had to go back and look at his nails when I saw you made this note about them. And they gave him really creepy fucking looking nails. Right. I'm saying. They just don't look right. Yeah. If your nail beds are blue like that, you have a major lack of oxygen going on. It was creepy. They looked dirty, too. They were, like, blue and dirty and kind of long. They were creepy. <laughs> but he tells Filch to round up the ghosts so they can search the other portraits for the fat lady, and Filch tells him there is no need and points her out. Dude must have killed a die spy. Just saying. Right? Where's Waldo Master? But that's not how it happened in the book. Dumbledore actually tells McGonagall to go tell Filch to search every painting in the castle for the fat lady. Can you imagine? They just wanted Filch to go do that. Right. Go search every painting. There's got to be a thousand paintings in that damn castle. Seriously. Go search every painting. But Peeves cackles that he'll be lucky. Dumbledore wonders why, and Peeves puts on this awful, oily voice in a show of respect for the headmaster. That he refers to as your headship, sir. <laughs> I know we do this every time, but uh, I would have loved to see this. I know. Peeves explains that she's ashamed and a mess because she's been crying and adds on an unconvincing poor thing. <laughs> and Dumbledore asks him if she mentioned who did it. In the movie, there is no Peeves, obviously. Everyone just makes a mad rush in the direction that Filch pointed, and Percy seems to think that throwing the words head boy around is going to get people to listen to him and slow down, when really, Fred and George probably just snicker every time he brings it up. I can totally see them just exchanging glances every time. <laughs> I wonder if it ever got old, because you know he threw that around all the time. Oh yeah. But they all stop in front of a painting of hippos, and the fat lady is hiding behind the forefront hippo. Of course, because she's a fat lady, and she can't hide behind anything else but a hippo. <laughs> Dumbledore is able to directly ask her who did this to her. And what the hell is the fat lady wearing on her damn head? Is that a whole grapevine wound around her hat? I mean, yeah, basically. Maybe she thought it would help her blend into her surroundings. I guess. But the fat lady very dramatically tells Dumbledore, Eyes like the devil he's got, and a soul as black as his name. It's him, Headmaster. The one they all talk about. He's here, somewhere in the castle. Serious Black! <laughs> <laughs> that was very nice. Thank you. I practice my fat lady talk. 
She then shrieks and ducks back behind the hippo. Dawn French may not have been the fat lady we thought we wanted, but she is damn sure the fat lady we needed. Love her. I do love her delivery. It's definitely more comical than how Peeves described her. In the book, we never see the fat lady during this scene, and Peeves just says, Oh yes, Professor Head. Which, for some reason, cracks me up. Headship, <laughs> Professor Head, I don't know why. It just makes me giggle. <laughs> but with the air of cradling a very large bombshell, Peeves says, He got very angry when she wouldn't let him in, you see. Nasty temper he's got, that serious black. So for all of the differences from these sections, at least in both, it was Sirius Black who tried to break into Gryffindor Tower. <laughs> right? <laughs> but this is where both the book and the movie scene ends, which brings us to the section for new and returning actors. Yeah, and really, all we have here is David Bradley as Argus Filch. We see him twice in this section, collecting the permission slips and finding the fat lady. And once again, he does very well. He does. He doesn't do a ton. No. Except for when at I Spy. Yeah. He collects some permission slips. Yeah. Like a boss. He was the filchiest filch that ever did filch. So, I mean, he did great work. I still don't want to run into him in a dark corridor. Don't want to attend a wedding at his place. Right. He did very well. Yay, David Bradley. We love you. And this will bring us to our Potter Pondering. We said that we would really like some additional suggestions for ways people can make their boggarts ridiculous, especially for those who weren't quite sure how they could. And, of course, for the creepy clown one. Because... <laughs> I also really want to know what your thoughts are on the way the movie played up Lupin's friendship with Lily over his friendship with James. Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. We look forward to reading them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which I'm really excited to read because it's from my friend and co-worker, Tiffany O'Malley of Swish and Flick. She writes, Hi, my name is Tiffany O'Malley and I'm a proud Gryffindor, hear me roar. My wand is hazel wood, nine and three quarters inches long, phoenix tail feather, and reasonably supple flexibility. My Patronus is an osprey, which is a badass bird of prey. My Ilvermorny house is horned serpent. I've been reading Potter since I was in 5th or 6th grade. I don't really remember how I got Sorcerer's Stone in my hands for the first time because I would really like to thank that person who told me about it and encouraged me to read it. I do remember reading Chamber in 7th grade in my English class and telling everyone about Quidditch, how the points worked, even though it's crazy, and acing all of the tests over the book. Everyone wanted to be my partner for small groups because I knew everything about it. Growing up with the series as the books and movies came out is something that I will forever be grateful for. Being part of the Potter generation as the books were released at midnight was such a treat. I remember the workers at Walmart where I got my books from would slash the wrapping off these towers of the newest Potter book. Everyone would rush forward and grab their copy and run to the checkout line. I was the person that kept my book shut tight and waited until I got home to start reading the cover in the first chapter. I never, ever peeked. A memory that stands out for me is getting my copy of Deathly Hallows at midnight, going home and reading until 2 or 3 in the morning, going to work the next day at my waitress job, and then I faked being sick so I could go home and read the rest of the book. Totally worth it, and I would do it again in a heartbeat. Going to the midnight showings of the movie, when the movies actually were only released at midnight, was also such a fun experience. People would dress up and we would all cry when our beloved WB symbol hit the screen. Potter has helped me when I'm feeling anxious or lonely, especially during my college days. 
I believe it has helped me become a more empathetic person and even a better reader. I'm forever grateful for the series. I've been to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter Orlando many times. It's my favorite place to be. I love sitting on the steps beside Gringotts with a frozen butterbeer in my hand and watching all the witches and wizards walk around and shop. My favorite ride is the Escape from Gringotts. It's the only one that didn't make me feel sick. I've been to LeakyCon and presented at a couple of panels, hosted trivia, and set up a booth at the Wizarding World of Kent. I can't get enough. I even love Harry Potter so much that I started a podcast with my two friends and my sister-in-law all about the series called Swish and Flick. We've been podcasting now since 2017. If you haven't already listened to Swish and Flick, you should totally check them out. They are very entertaining and kind of like our inspiration. So you only have them to blame, guys. <laughs> but thank you, Tiffany, for sharing your story with us. Yeah, thank you. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, the wood, core, and length, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. We also have a post pinned at the top of our Facebook page, and you can just leave your Sorting Hat story there as well. Mm-hmm. And that'll bring us to this week's trivia question, which is, what color are the sleeping bags that Dumbledore makes appear in the Great Hall on Halloween night? The prize for the first one who responds with a correct answer and the code word hashtag sleep well will get a bitch is a witch, motherfucker's a wizard, a just keep rolling, that's not how it happened in the book, that's not how it happened in the movie, or a pride sticker. Another way you can get a sticker is to rate and review us. If you're an Apple person, you can do it through the Apple Podcast or iTunes app. If you don't have Apple, you can write a recommendation on our Facebook page. Then email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. If you would like to support us as a patron for extra perks, you can go to patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. You can also go to our website at justkeeprolling.com to check out our Just Keep Rolling and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We will soon have the first of our cooking show episodes up. Yay! Plus, in addition, the weekly podcast episodes, vlogs, and other random videos. One of these days, we'll be posting the video tour of our nearly finished studio. But we had a slight delay on finishing it because my husband is a wee bit accident prone. Accident prone and six foot six when some of the ceiling in the basement is less than that. So he clocked mm. himself pretty good. Yeah. Thankfully, he's okay. Yeah. I'm just going to require him to wear a helmet from now on, at least while working in the basement. Honestly, from now on might just be the best solution. Ooh, we can get him one with our logo on it. <laughs> but the carpet has been installed. All that's left is to put in the closet door and the baseboard. Then the recording studio is officially finished. So we are so close. <laughs> I've said it twice now that our next episode may get recorded in the studio. And now I feel like I've just been jinxing things. So I'm not saying it this time. Ha! Take that fate. Good plan, but speaking of that next episode, join us next week when we talk about Chapter 9, Grim Defeat, and the corresponding film scenes. 
Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just keep rolling. Thank you.